The Process, a podcast about creativity and making music. In a world where maybe no one is listening, outcomes and accolades for contemporary classical composers can seem far and few between. Therefore, composers must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one composer and their music. By understanding how and why they create can inform inspiring composers and help audiences better understand contemporary classical music. I am Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of new music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. Jordan Munson is a sound and video artist whose work explores memory, ephemera, and our relationship to technology. Often utilizing found media and experimental instruments, his compositions employ layered textures to build subtly changing landscapes. Munson has performed alongside artists such as Matmos, Arluc Dubois, Bora Yoon, and Nico Muley. With collaborators Scott Deal and Michael Drews, he is a member of the electroacoustic ensemble Big Robot. Institutions such as the University of Kentucky, the University of Alaska at Fairbanks, and the University of California at San Diego have premiered his multimedia works. Munson's video art has shown worldwide, including at the Music Acoustica Festival in Beijing, the New World Center, and the Philips Collection. Munson is a lecturer in music and arts technology at IUPY, as well as an associate of the Donald Tavel Arts and Technology Research Center. So you finished performing the piece. Uh, I assume people started clapping, and there you were. What what was going through your head at that moment when you finished that piece? Probably just relief that that I had gotten through something that was so as much multitasking in live performance as uh, as I think I'd ever done up to that point. I think I was relieved because oh now I know that I can I can manage this much stuff, you know, and 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 then it sort of grew. And I think now I even probably do more things depending on the performance. Uh, live, but it doesn't seem as as daunting anymore. Of course, you you know you've been in catacombs and yeah. uh, insane asylums. And, yeah. Perf- performed on a rowboat. Performed in a hundred and ten degree uh, heated room on a milk crate. Nowadays, it's more about creating a whole uh, environment, you know, or, or sort of overloading people's senses in a way. That's why a lot of times I like to involve live video. In the performance or live light lighting or a combination of those with with what the performer's doing or what I'm doing if I'm the performer and, and just making kind of building a special event um, that fits the space every every time you do like a larger performance. That performance at the kitchen in New York where I created that until my last piece was a, kind of a, a big milestone to me because it for, for me it's a really challenging work to play because piano's not I'm not formally trained on that. Uh, it's it's a really long work that involves a lot of live video um, lighting. There's live lighting, interactive lighting, interactive video, 
um, custom made music boxes and electronic analog electronic sounds and triggered um, electronic elements while I'm playing the piano, like with my feet. So it's a really challenging piece, and I felt like uh, it was a really good example of my creative ideas coming through successfully in in the performance. Like I feel like people understood the the ideas I was trying to get across, and uh, I also thought the performances went really well. Version of Fruity Loops or FL Studio. Sorry, it was called Fruity. Well, no, back Fruity then Loops. it was Fruity Loops. Yeah, it was yeah. Fruity Loops, yeah. and uh, and it was just a lot more basic than without any formal training, ma- making like whole albums of through composed, ten minute long, epic electronic compositions. I mean, that's what I guess attracted me to both electronic music and percussion is that they were, you know, there was a lot of freedom in what you could do, and uh, interest in tex- texture. I just I've always loved. Um, sort of molding things, um, but it was percussion performance, right? Yes. Um, and it's interesting because in until my last, you're playing the piano in the piece, right? Um, growing up too, I we had this upright piano. It was just sitting there, like most upright pianos do in, sure, in yes. a suburban this house. One walked, this one walked around the house from time to time, right? Uh, I would actually play piano constantly, all the time, and using it as a creative tool, making up lots of things. I don't have any formal training in it. It's always been a, a love of mine and a great tool. I guess traditionally it's it's a great tool for composers to use. And I do play it in that piece that we're talking about. I do play it rather percussively too. Within uh, Until My Last, there's a really interesting moment that happens maybe about halfway through where it's almost like we're back there with you playing that upright. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And you're playing a very uh, sort of simple melody of kind of memorable one. Um, What was that moment about within the context of the piece?
start of the whole composition was just that chord progression. And so it worked from the middle outward. So I just started with um, just acoustic piano on this on this chord progression and then and then later married it to some other electronic things I've been working on and and kind of earlier like worked backwards on the piano part. So it was just that like a strangely soulful chord progression that I I wrote. And and then there is some sort of freedom in there as I think you're referring to that gets into kind of like this saloon style piano piano sure. riff. Well, even sonically because we're dealing with a more sort of uh, minimalist or contemporary classical sounding piano and earlier it's sort of this dark wave. Right. Um but at that moment it is clearly a piano in a room. Right. Right. Um, that so that was the starting point. That's so compositionally why isn't that at the start of the piece? Why does it happen halfway through the piece? I create compositions a lot of times as a performer through live free improvisations to trust my my phrasing or my sense of time in real time. And I feel it's a lot clunkier for me uh, when I try to sit down and do like measure to measure. It just seems to not move naturally. I like to have sort of arrival points that that either are surprising or a moment where you're taking a turn or a moment where you drop into some really heavy section that seems like as an audience member that's the thing that you wanted that you didn't know you wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so taking time to get to something that had a lot of uh, emotion in it, I think made that makes for me makes that moment work better than to kind of just start with it. Mm-hmm. And, and even when it when it gets to this sort of more soulful chord progression, I dole it out really slowly. So you get one chord and then two chords and then mm-hmm. one, two, three, and then one, two, three, four, and then it fills fills out uh, into this whole more complex progression. I liked the idea when I first came up with it, but I felt it needed time. In fact, I think it takes about 15 minutes to get to it, so I guess it needed a lot of time to get there. escapes you, yes. which is a very bright, shiny, and shimmering type piece. That was commissioned by a specific performer yes. and written f- knowing that that performer was going to perform it. Right. So tell us a little bit about that commission process, and then tell us a little bit about how that made the creative process different. The percussionist is Alex Weir, and he was uh, commissioning uh, three to four com- composers to write Electroacoustic works for his for his doctoral thesis. So I, it's really great to work with people that way. I think because then you have this conversation, this dialogue with them in the creative process, which I think is um, the only way I would like to do commissions ever is to to be in dialogue with the, 
the performer and uh, and see the things that they're interested in musically, um, where you might have some mutual ground. I think for him and I, it was it was like Sigur Ross or something. Sure. Um, and uh, once we hit on that point, I was like, perfect. I think I have have an idea. So what did you do? Just go through naming bands? You were like, ELO, <laughs> no. What? You know? <laughs> I think he. You know, I think I asked him sort of what he what his instrumentation you know of choice would be or different different things he might be interested in what kind of music he's interested in or what style of music he's interested in and and we had some similar interests like modern new music coming out of New York which has can can have some influences from all over but you know it's sort of non-genre new music mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of pop influences in there so sure. we we had that sort of common interest and then and cigaros and, and things like that. And then he mentioned, you know, vibraphone, wanting to do something with vibraphone, and, uh, I, and then we started to, to hit on the idea. And the other thing that he specifically wanted that I was also wanting to do more of at the time was to create an interactive uh, electroacoustic piece for soloists that that would change and move with with the with the performance or what they did in performance uh, and wouldn't be sort of a static electronic track. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way that piece works is it's there's sort of different layers, different ingredients in the electronic soup. And some of them go in larger chunks, sort of larger electronic washes. Uh, but um, other pieces are sort of more specific hits, and and they're triggered by the performer. And so in that way, you know, Alex or whoever's performing the piece can move more freely through the composition, have a little bit of timing leeway um, there. And I really like that. Uh, and actually, that's something that's kind of been developing and. Commissioned electroacoustic pieces for me, anyways, is to create something that's going to be, you know, run by some kind of max patch or whatever that that it can move when the performer wants it to, and making that kind of really easy for them to do too, because otherwise people won't perform it. Right, they can load it up on their laptop and it's just it. They press play, and, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and and so you're creating these patches that are um, listening. They're listening to for larger events. So does that mean your score then is a little uh, ambiguous in that it's showing the larger benchmarks or areas to reach, or or is the or is the score very specific? And this one, I think more than others, was very uh, traditional, but still using more of a graphic score or time-based score. It, it it is to a time, but there's a little bit of flexibility from event to event. So it's it's pretty. Strongly structured in time, um, but there's sort of these big bass synth hits that happen in the piece, and those are triggered by uh, Alex um, hitting a kick drum with a contact mic. That contact mic triggers these these big events. Well, I wanted to talk about the those those big hits that mm-hmm. happen throughout yeah. the piece because the piece in general is this very bright kind of shiny work. Mm-hmm. And then about three-fourths of the way, or even a little bit longer, all of a sudden we have this huge drum. Yeah. 
And uh, even just as far as low end within the piece, uh, the low end then is not really established until that point. the inspiration for having something like you know we've kind of equated it sometimes to an 808 kick or something right, you know, right. from a, a or what we might refer to as a drop or something like yeah. that you know w- was that in mind or was it a, a classical kind of influence uh like until my last and and where light escapes you i just wanted to to interject some kind of pop arrival point there sure. almost like a weird chorus or something i wanted to create this really impressive low end Sure. Uh, right at that, right at that moment. Also, that the piece is sort of starting from very small and creating kind of a, a big bell outward. And by the time you get there, there's really not a whole lot else you can. Where, you where can, else could you go? Where else yeah. could you go? So, yeah. so let's just drop it. Yeah. So I think in uh, the third piece uh, that I wanted to talk about, which was a new, mm-hmm. I think you explore a lot of this again. Some of the things that we've talked about. But um, there's a very striking element in, I think, a new that's uh, that's not in the other pieces, and that is the idea of a vocal performance. Mm-hmm. And there's this very dramatic sort of vocal swell that happens at the start. Right. And then focuses on this very simple vocal idea. Yes. Um, And then as the listener, as we're listening, we start to hear that vocal becomes processed. Something's happening to it.
years back, I happened to meet composer Hannah Ben. She is very classically a composer, composition degree, doing a lot of orchestral arrangement, orchestral work. But she's also a vocal performer and uh, has similar interests to me. Initially, it's it's all Hannah. It's all her vocal melodies, writing and working with um, the other vocal performer on that, uh, Abby Miller. And so we worked on it all collaboratively, more like a band. So we were getting together and performing together different passages of that piece, leading up to actually performing it live. So it was more about creating something for live performance. Right. So can you tell us a little bit in... In, in a very technical way, what is what is happening to the vocal there at the start of the piece? Pretty much all of it happened live in the recording process. Taking layers of what they're doing, recording it, having it play back, having them build loops on top of it. In fact, for live performance, I just built them uh, little Max for Live plugins that would loop passages they're singing and overdubbing over top of that using an iPhone layout to record and overdub so that each of them had like a little controller essentially that we built the layouts for. So there's some custom built effects there that they're they're using and I'm using to process their voice. Mm-hmm. So it's all done live. And a lot of that composition is a live piece. The things that are done in studio were just enhancing some of the ideas that happen live, making them stand out a little more because that's out of the out of the three compositions we've talked about, that's the most kind of pop influenced. Um, so, enhancing those pop ideas with with some some support is what we did in studio. Why not just contemporary classical music? Why not just new music? Why, why pop music? I, I can't even say straight ahead contemporary classical or new music because I don't really. Uh, from from what I listen to, the, there is none of that a, a, anymore. There's not a distinction. No, not really. Uh, I mean, people are taking the things that they're learning in school and more traditional things and infusing that with all their influence. I mean, it's the post-internet age. Just there's just so many. W- Areas to to influence you, uh, so many different styles and types of music as you're coming of age. I don't think I'm alone in, in not being satisfied by anymore by just creating something that lives inside a, a box. Like you know, oh, this is this is clearly in the contemporary classic realm, classical realm. It, but it's always been a little bit elusive, and I, and I think that's good. Uh, so it's been years and years trying to work out how to naturally move from these sort of more ambient or electronic landscapes or meditations into a very pop moment, one piece that still feels cohesive but but also surprising at times uh, is 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 challenging. But I like the cha- I like that challenge and I I think that's what is rewarding for me when I feel like my idea has come through clearly. At the core I I just want to be a pop musician, I think. So <laughs> Always wanted to be a pop musician, so this is just a way to to do that. That I that's natural to me.
thanks to Jordan Munson for sharing his music and his process with us. For more information about Jordan and to hear his music, visit jordanmunson.com or check out this week's entry on the noise buffalo at blogspot.com. Tune in next episode when Jordan talks to us about the creative cogitations and what they mean to him.